That's right. Put him kuten. Freilichem pidem kuten. Yeah. And a good nerve Shabbos. Lots, uh, lots to be uh, happy about. Besides for the fact that we woke up this morning. All right. Chavra, let us get going. Today's Dav is Kufi Yud Beis, page 112. In the Heiligen Mesechas Babakama, we're in the final parak, The 10th parak in Perak HaGoyzel Umaychel. And we are up to Rav Ada Bar Ava on the very top line of Kufi Yud Beis, Omar Aleph. Now, if we could just, for a moment, go back to the beginning of the parak which is Amud Bey's from yesterday, we'll quickly remind ourselves of the topic by learning through the short Mishnah. Okay, the short Mishnah on the top of Kofi Aleph Amud Bey's. And the Mishnah had said, a, a person who steals and then gives the food to his children. And it really could mean to you or me. A person steals and gives it to us and we eat it. Who has to pay back? He does. Where he puts it down in front of them. The one who ate it is, is not responsible to pay. It's the one who stole it, the one who took it. Who's got to pay? But if it's, if it's something that has achrayis, let's say it was something that which was consumed like real estate, so then they are responsible. Uh, they are responsible to pay. Now, why? We'll see. We're going to get into that part of the halacha. But uh, suffice it to say that what we see from here is when there's a change of domain or a change from the person who stole it to the one who consumed it, the one who stole it is the one who's going to be responsible. Here we go. Says the Gemara, Ravada Barava Masi Rami Barchama Ha. Ravada Barava teaches Rami Barchama's statement going on the following. Now, Rami Barchama's statement was on the bottom of yesterday's Amud and the top of today, where he said that if the owner had not yet given up hope, then he could put responsibility on the second guy. But if it's after, then we don't. So he says this, Rami Barchama said this, it's, um, is... Uh, Rav Ada Bar Abba is going on Rabbi Bar Chama, which means If let's say somebody passes away and he made money off of interest Even if the kids know that the money is coming from Ribis they're not obligated to give it back Incredible Yeah, Usually if you charge Ribis you got to give it back If he dies the children do not need to give it back. They're allowed to keep the money. Omar Rami Barchama, and on that, Rami Barchama says, let me explain, Zot Omeret, this is coming to teach us, Rishus Yerish Kirshus Dami. The domain of an inheritor is the same thing as the domain of a purchaser, meaning it's considered, meaning it's considered Shinuin Rishus, a change of property, and once it's considered change of property, it's no longer considered to be the interest money. It is now new property. Hence, if that property is not around anymore, whoever has it doesn't need to give it back. When inheritors get something, it's not as if they don't have the same status as buyers. The shiny But over here, it is different. Okay. Now, what was different over here? What was our case? Somebody lends money on interest and he dies. The kids could keep it. Why? Because it's state in Pasuk. It says in the Torah, You should not take from him neshech, um, interest, visarbis, and a gain. Don't take from him a interest and a gain. Which means, If you take interest from somebody, you have to give it back. You know why? 
so he could live with you. See, the Pasuk of don't take interest says, and then it says, your brother has to live with you. Don't create a situation of rich get richer and poor get poor. Create a situation where everybody's, everybody's got uh, equal standing over here. So, you know why you need to give it back? Because of the, the continuation of the Pasuk, which is, now, for the guy himself who lent on interest, the Torah says, this guy, the borrower, needs to live with you. Don't take interest. And if you do give it back, live with him. But if the guy kicked the bucket, he's not living anymore with the borrower. The merciful one, the Torah, does not put the responsibility on the children of returning the interest money. The one who learns that Rami Rahoma is going on this brisa about lending on interest that the children could keep it, certainly will agree that when it comes to theft, excuse me, that when somebody steals money and dies, the children do not need to, uh, do not need to return it, certainly considered in their domain. They'll say the Rabbi Barachama agrees with the opinion of of uh, Rava, okay, and um, the uh, Yarshim, the inheritors, will completely acquire it. Kavaldik. All right. Period. End of that. Uh, end of that specific conversation, which was a Hemshech, a continuation of yesterday, and now we turn to a brand new Brisa, a brand new Tanu Rabbanon. It's going to keep on the theme of what happens if somebody steals and then dies. Okay. Tanu Rabbanon, the rabbis learned, and so should we. Hagaizel umaychel es bonov peturim milishalim. If somebody steals food and then or money and then uses it to buy food and feeds his kids with it, the children are not responsible to pay back the owner. They don't need to pay back the owner. Now, again, let's remind ourselves. Yesterday's daf. This is obviously when the thing that you stole is not around anymore. Okay. The actual, if the actual item is here, then you need to return it. We mentioned for a number of reasons. Okay, it's kibud, It's improper to be holding on to something your father stole. It's just kibbutz. You shouldn't be seen with something your father stole, right? And the person himself will need to return it. So we're obviously dealing with the the item's not here. So the the verse in the Torah of return the item that you stole, the heishev esakzela sher gazal, is not applicable. So the question is returning value. So if somebody steals and gives it to his children and they eat it, all we're dealing with is value. The item's not here. But through Mishan, they don't need to pay. What if he puts it in front of them? So if they are adults, they are responsible to pay. Okay. Why? We don't know yet. What do we learn in the Mishnah? You don't need to pay. You don't need to pay. If they're Gedalim, you do need to pay. Ketanim, Peturim, If they're Ketanim, then they are putter from paying. However, v'im amru, and if v'im amru g'daylem, ain't on the yaydim cheshbayne shechasav avinu imach, what if the g'daylem say, listen, what do we know? We don't know uh, about any dealings that our father had with you. In other words, says Rashi, what if the children say, we know our father stole, but how do we know our father didn't pay you back? We don't know all the business dealings, which by the way, is... I'm not going to use the word unfortunate, but is a reality. 
It's a reality of life. Our families do not know all the ins and outs, uh, financial calculations that go on with parents, nor should they, nor should they. My father and my father would tell me, there's three things you never tell your children, even if they know it, that shouldn't come from you. You don't tell them your age, your income, and that you can't afford something. Never say those three things. Even if they know your age, and even if they know your income, and even if they know they can't afford it, they shouldn't hear that from their parents. Doesn't matter. Parents have to find different ways to express it. The child says, how old are you? Yeah, ask somebody else. I'm not telling you how old I am. Now this is, a, this is a teller thing, or actually a pair thing. My mother's comes from my mother's side. But this, this is what goes on. My kid's like, I know how old you are. I know, it's like a whole game. And I saw your driver's license. Yeah? I don't tell them all day. Doesn't make a difference. They, they know. They know. I'm not telling them all day. Okay? There's a very deep psychological uh, reason for these three, and, and they're all connected. And it has to do with parents shouldering the responsibility to be, um, to be representative, um, to be uh, uh, representatives of a Kaddish Baruch. And children, specifically at a younger age, before they reach complete adulthood, and once they're adults, you can usually uh, uh, fathom these things, and you need to share, obviously, what uh, very often parents need to share, their involvement as their children become older adults. But as, as children are in their maturing years, it's important that they, they view their parents kind of as immortal. They rep, you're like a, an intermediary between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and, and your children. You're a partner with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In the same way the Rabbani Shalom doesn't have an age, and the Rabbani Shalom doesn't have an income, and the Rabbani Shalom could afford anything. So the same thing's true with us. It's the same thing. I'm a, I'm a shutaf with the Rabbani Shalom. And at that young age, my, I think that's where it comes from. I think that's where my, my parents got it from. Children shouldn't feel like an insecurity. In, in that way I know I don't know what my parents find When my mother passed away My father passed away first And left everything to my mother I had no clue I had no clue If they had Two pennies to their name Or if they had 180 million dollars I had no clue No idea What was going on I just knew I always had what I needed That's it And if my parents Couldn't afford something And I, I still Until today I don't know But if I asked for something And they didn't want to buy it for me They just said You don't need it and they're right, because if you need something, HaKadosh Baruch will give you the money for it. He's got an endless bank account. So they would just say, you don't need it. Yeah, I want this. Do you want it? You need it. You don't need it. So they didn't buy it from me. But they wouldn't tell me I can't afford it. They wouldn't, need, they wouldn't say it's too expensive. They wouldn't use these expressions. If they didn't want to buy me something, you don't need it. And that was it. That was the, that's all, uh, that's all uh, we heard. Yeah, so getting back to over here, what if they say, listen, we don't know what's going on in our, fa- our father's financial uh, calculations, we don't know. They're not responsible, why? Because it's on you to prove that our father didn't pay you back. Why? Because they don't know, they're If they say, listen, we know that our father stole from you, however, um, we also know that our father paid up, and there's nothing that, uh, that uh, is left over for you, then Peturim, they are going to be Potter. Okay, now this gets into another realm of, called Bari Vishema. Bari Vishema means that if the guy is actually certain that the father owes them money, but the <laughs> children are unsure, 
we're going to follow this guy. They're, they're coming with a Shema statement, just a maybe. Mm. But if, they're, if they say, listen, we're aware of the story, and we're also aware that there was payment, so then unless he could prove otherwise, he can't take it. Tani Iduk, we learned the Bryce assembly. Somebody steals and feeds his children with the value of what he stole. They don't have to pay back. If you put it in front of them and they ate it, why are you obligating minors? A minor eating something that was stolen is the same as a minor damaging. And what's Allah if a minor damages you? He's putter. He's not responsible. Like we learned earlier in the Masechta, that was the expression we learned. And that is, it is, uh, it is, uh, uh, interacting with minors is always a risk. Because if you hurt them, you got to pay. If they hurt you, they don't need to pay. Let's say he put it in front of them, but they didn't yet use it up. So then, why? Because you're giving back what your father actually stole. And that, even a minor, is responsible to do. What if the father borrows a cow? And then he dies. So if the father borrowed a cow for 30 days, and then he dies 10 days later, the halacha is the children could use it for the final 19 to 20 days. Mesa ain chayavim what if the, if the cow died, they don't need to pay the same way their father would have had to pay. What happens if the father rents a cow? This is interesting. And, and you could mama see this happening. What happens if a, I'm not rents, I'm sorry. The father borrows a cow. Father borrows a cow. Indefinitely, we'll call it. Or for a long-term borrow. Now, Why? The family had a big had a farm and they didn't have and they have a neighbor that's being nice and tells the father, listen, just don't tell anybody. We'll pretend like I sold it to you. Just just take it. Take it as a loan. Don't worry about it. As far as the kids are concerned, their father owns a cow. Now it's not true. Well, it doesn't own a cow. You know where this comes up? Very practical. This is v- v- fascinating, and I'm not gonna get too much into this. I love when people donate Sefritari to shuls. So, it's important that there's a mitzvah in the Torah. It's a biblical mitzvah to own a Torah. It's actually it's mitzvah 613. is To have a written Torah, which a lot of the Rishonim say, to own a Sefer Torah, you fulfill that mitzvah. Some say even if you own Svarim, you fulfill that mitzvah. So, personally, when people ask me a Shaila in this area, I recommend that they keep ownership over the Sefer Torah and they give it to the institution, the yeshiva, the shul, whatever, as a long-term loan. But keep ownership. Now, it's important to, within the stipulation, explain that upon death, the shul takes ownership. Because really, these people want to donate it to the shul. Mm-hmm. That's their goal. Their goal is not that it should be a long-term loan. Their goal is to donate it. On my end, advising them as a rav, why not keep your mitzvah? What do you gain the shul doesn't get a mitzvah for owning a tire. You might as well keep your mitzvahs, right? So keep your mitzvahs. But upon death, what does that mean? The children inherit it? Are they allowed to take it out of the shul? So technically, yes. If there's no pre, if there's no condition, uh, uh, you know, expressed prior, so then if he held on to it, really still belongs to, uh, really still belongs to the family. So here you have another situation where somebody borrowed something, and it could be the, the family's not even familiar that it's borrowed. They thought it was a donated tire, but whatever. The rav, he happens to be part of our shul. <laughs> and the, the, the rabbi told them, you know, you might as well keep ownership. And they don't know that it's borrowed. Okay. So, 
Mesa in Chayama by himself. Okay, I just went back by mistakes. Here we go. What if they thought it was their fathers? The animal was their fathers. Do you know what they did after the father died? They said, hey, we don't need this animal anymore to plow. We're living out of town. We might as well shecht it. Get some good steaks. So then they need to pay back the value of the meat of a cow, but at a, uh, at a, uh, a low sale cost. We'll call it, yeah. You know, the, the cheapest possible uh, price. Whatever their father left for them, achrayis nechasim, property that has achrayis, that has responsibility on it, which basically has a, uh, has a lien. Then they're going to be responsible to pay because there's a lien on it. Okay. Something is going on the ratio, the first statement, and something is going on the second statement. What do we mean by this? The one who says that this is going on the ratio, this halakha is going on the first part of Rava's statement. Koshke Nasifa is certainly going to be going on the second part of the statement. Now, again, what was the first part? The first part, the animal died. In the second part, they shechted it. Okay. Um, now, if I'm going to say they have to pay when the animal died by itself, I would say kavachaymer. Logic would dictate they need to pay when they shechted it. If it died on its own, you got to pay. If you hands on killed it, you should need to pay. This would be an argument on repapa. But the one who says that you're chayav on the seifa when you shechted, what if it died by itself? Again, the father borrowed the cow, they thought that it was their, uh, I'm sorry, the father borrowed a cow and the cow died, right, they were allowed to hold on to it through the remainder of the borrowing and and the, the cow uh, died, so there you're going to be potter what happens if you had a cow that was stolen and you shechted on Shabbos so you steal a cow on Friday Shabbos morning, you shechted. Chayev, you're obligated to pay on the uh, on the theft. Okay. Now here's the issue. We, in general, we've come across a concept of kimle b'derabamine. You always get if there's one punishment, you get the harsher punishment. There's a punishment of slaughtering purposefully on Shabbos, and that's a chiv misa. There's death. So why are you chayev? Why are you obligated to pay Dalit Vahey if you shechted on Shabbos? You know why? When did you steal it? Friday. Friday. So when did you have to pay back double? Friday. Now you shechted and sell it on Shabbos. So you, the obligation of stealing took place prior to Shabbos. The obligation of Misa is taking place on Shabbos. Granted... It's together with the additional dollar of a hay payment, right? Because that's, that's coming for the slaughtering. But the theft payment is not happening at the same time, so it's not including Kim Nid Brahmini. So here we go. Shekvar Chayyab Gneba, Kayim Shev Yavad Yisru Shabbos. You're already obligated on the theft before you ever came to a problem of Shabbos. If somebody had a cow that he borrowed, not that he stole, but he borrowed and he shechts it on Shabbos, Potter, they're going to be Potter from paying. Why? Because only Chayyab Misa. Shabbos, 
Both of it's coming at the same time. I borrowed it. Is it in my possession legally? Yeah. Now when I shecht it on Shabbos, what am I doing? I'll tell you. You're stealing. Because you didn't borrow it to slaughter it. You borrowed to give it back. So by slaughtering it, I'm stealing. And at the same time, I'm being high of Misa. So that's what we, that's what we plug in the rule of... Of Kimle Bedramine, Tan Rabban the rabbis learned, and that's why they are rabbis. Vishu Gzeisha Gazal, and you turn the stolen item that you stole. Matam Lemarsha Gazal. Why does they you should return the stolen item that you stole? Why doesn't the verse just say you should return the stolen item? Is it necessary to write that you stole? Uh, hello, <laughs> return the stolen item that you what bought, <laughs> borrowed? Of course, it's stolen. What's the whole, uh, what's the big idea? You give it back the same as when you stole it. Meaning, if it's in the same condition as when I stole it, you give it back in that condition. If it's not in the same condition, it seems biblically, you're not even giving it back. From here they said, somebody steals and feeds it to his children, there's no responsibility to pay. If you put it in front of them, uh, and Ketanim Peturim. Only Gedalim Rachayev, Ketanim Rapater, going back to what we learned earlier on the daf. All right, get ready for a story. Parchamuad the Rabbi Yermia, the son of the father in law of Rabbi Yermia. So we're going to call this Rabbi Yermia's brother in law. Tarak Gale Ba'ape the Rabbi Yermia. Um, he did not, yeah, I'm not going to translate this literally, okay? Rabirmia's brother-in-law did not allow Rabirmia into the house. That's how we'll translate it. Okay. Also, the commander of and Rabirmia came to Ravav. Omar, Ravavan said, I'll explain what's going on here in a moment, why they're arguing. Amar Ravavan said, Shalayhu Teveya. Shalayhu Teveya means your brother-in-law is claiming his own thing. He's right. Now, what do you mean he's claiming his own thing? So let's give the background. Let's give the background to the story. So the background to the story was Rabbi Yirmiya's father-in-law passed away. Okay? He had a son. He also had a son-in-law. Rabirmia. Mm-hmm. Rabirmia's father-in-law had his own biological son, and he had a son-in-law, Rabirmia. Now, the bi- biological son lived in the house. Rabirmia wanted to come into the house with a taina, with a claim that the father-in-law gave it to him, let's say. And this, the son of the deceased, Rabirmia's brother-in-law, says, no, it's my house. I inherited it. Rabbi Yirmiya came to Ravavan to get help. And Ravavan says, listen, your brother-in-law's right. Mm. Your brother-in-law's right. He, he, he inherited it. He's the flesh and blood of your father-in-law. You don't inherit your father-in-law. You're a son-in-law. Omar Leib, I'll bring witnesses that my father-in-law gave it to me during his lifetime. And I made a chazak on it already. He gave it to me as a gift. Amarlei, he said to him, Do we accept witnesses? Tapa of Kufiud Bey's 
When the Baldin is not here, okay? Meaning, if you claim that you had it while your father-in-law was alive, who's the litigant in this case? Your father-in-law. He's six feet under. And since your father-in-law is not around to get into a, a court case with you, we can't accept the witnesses. Basically, I need to cancel the court case due to technical difficulties. Says Gemara Vila, you can't do that. But we learn Ah, see, here we go. Says Rabbi like this. Rabbi says, my brother-in-law, my father-in-law is not here, but my brother-in-law is a katan. Now, so the son is a minor. So the what Rabbi, um, who was Rabbi been coming in front of? Rabbi came in front of Rabbi. Came in front of Rabbi. So Rabbi says, listen, your father-in-law is not here, it says nothing to talk about. He says, what about my brother-in-law? He says, your brother-in-law is a minor. So you got to wait for him to, uh, there's, there's no, uh, no litigant. So says, We said if somebody dies and he's, he stole something, and his, even his minor children have it, they need to pay back. So therefore, says Rabirmia, my brother-in-law is a minor. I'm claiming it's mine. He should be chayev to give it back. Okay. He says, uh, that's only one opinion. And that's not necessarily how we pask him. Omar, he says, He says, Who argues on me? Sumchis? Well, I, I do have my own uh, Paiskin backing me up. Why are you relying on Sumchis and not letting me have it? Rely on the other opinions and let me have it. It's a good time. In the meantime, Igalgal Milsa. Igalgal Milsa means it, it kept going. The, the, the matter kept going. Also, Umata Lakameda Rebbe Avo. And this Shaila ended up reading, uh, reaching Rebbe Avo. Omar. And Rebbe Avo said, Didn't you hear Rebbe Yosef Barchama who quoted Rebbe Yosef Barchama? Rebbe Yosef Barchama, Rebbe Yosef I'm sorry if you have a Tinaik, uh, a child who grabbed hold of servants, and he entered into his friend's field. Okay? Um, so you have a kid, he's six years old, he says to all of his father's servants, he says, hey guys, come with me. Okay? Come with me. Um, and he takes, uh, he takes these servants, and he's going to work the field to get a chazaka on the field. And he says, this is mine. We don't say, wait till he becomes an adult to have this din Take it away from him right away. He had no right to do this. And when he gets older, we'll deal with it. Yeah, well, and we'll see whether, uh, whether he gets it or uh, whether he should get it or not. So, says, um, says the Gemara that, you know, they were unsure how to handle this. In the meantime, they realized that, you know, Rabirmia's brother-in-law was kicking him out of the house, and he says, this is my house. Um, even if the guy's a minor, we should let him hold on to it. Says the Gemara, Midami, you can't compare that case of the minor taking the servants, and this case over here, there we're taking it away. Because he cannot take the chazak of his father. It was his father's servants. It wasn't his servants. 
And therefore, since it wasn't his servants, you can't, he's not personally making a chazaka. But here, he has the chazaka of a father. Yeah, this guy was living in his father's house. So, maybe we'll say that the, the uh, son can hold on to it. Amar Rabashi, Amar Rav Shabtai. Rabashi says the name of Rav Shabtai. Mekabla meidun shalai b'fnei balden. You should know, contrary to what we learned earlier, if you have two litigants and there's witnesses that show up to Bezdin to give testimony, even if both litigants are not available to be there, they may testify. Toi barabiyachin barabiyachin wasn't shock about this. Then, who ever heard of such a thing? So I'll tell you what happened. He says, either one of the litigants was sick. Okay? Now, if he's sick, then we're not going to be Makabo testimony. Because he has a good excuse why he's not there. If he's not sick, then we're going to tell him to show up. Or he had um, what's called a, um, a uh, the, the court put a, uh, a letter out of summons, that's what it's called, to, to bring him to court. He didn't show up. We do accept witnesses not in front of the litigants. Explain to me by Shmuel. We're dealing with a case where the Bezdin already was Peseach. They already opened up uh, the proceedings. And they summoned him. They sent for him. He didn't show up. But let's say they never started the court case. The litigant could say, I don't want to use your Bezdin, your stunky Bezdin in Timbuktu in Kalamazoo. I want to use the, the Rabbanot in Eretz Yisrael. I want to use a big Bezdin. And over there, he's got a right to do so. Amar Ravina, Ravina says, um, says, if that's the case, even if the young, smaller court did start the proceedings, but Siyamalai let him say, I'd prefer to go to the big court in Yerushalayim. No, that's not enough. Excuse me. Rather, the, the only time we allow the litigant to say, I'm not coming to court when a smaller court summons him is if he already has a letter from the larger Bezdin in Yerushalayim, we'll call it, or a bigger Bezdin, a higher Bezdin, stating that they already accepted the case. When they already accept the case, then you come with the time that I'm not showing up to the smaller Bezdin. Otherwise, Bezdin summons, you go. We accept a document, even if the Balidin aren't there. So somebody shows up with a contract and handwriting and all these things. Except in a court, even if both litigants are Bivichanam or Bivichanam says, Imakam Nasar Shalafadin, no, you don't. It's considered a regular court case and they need to be there. Amar later, Shashas, Larbiasi, Baravo, Asbrali, Time with Rabiachan, I'll tell you the reason for Rabiachan. Amar Kra, it's a Pasuk which says, Vuhod, Bavala Vlashban, the ox became a mud and it wasn't watched. Amar Taira, Yavai Balashar, Biyamad Ashar. So Taira says that the ox should be there at the time of the testimony. So you see, this is a, this is a source. That whatever you're testifying about also needs the litigant. Same with the ox. When you bring an ox to Bezin, you need the owner. So when you bring a document to Bezin, you need the owner there. Amar Rav, Rav says, You could establish a document in court when the litigants aren't there. Even if the guy is shouting outside, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He has no proof to what he's shouting. doesn't matter. 
the Omar, and if the guy says, Nikli Zimna, give me some time, until I could bring witnesses and get rid of the Shtar, he also also. So if he taka brings witnesses before whatever time Bezdin established for him, then he's allowed to do that. But if he doesn't come back, we wait for him a Monday, Thursday, and a Monday. These are considered public days. Right? Days where uh, it was common for people to travel. Eli Yosef doesn't show up. We write a opening on him for 90 days, which means it's called uh, somebody ignores a summons of Bezdin. So he's put into like a 90-day chayrim. We'll call it. It's like a 90 day, 30 months of, of uh, Khirim to show up. What happens during these 90 days? The first 30, 30 days, he's like in Khirim, but we don't take his stuff. We'll say, ah, he's, he's busy trying to get money. The days 31 through 60, we also don't take his property. We'll say, Maybe he just didn't find any money. He's trying to sell his property to raise that money. Basroi, in the last 30 days, from day 61 through 90, we also don't take his property. We'll say like this. Uh, you know, he couldn't, he, he couldn't pull all the money together, so he's trying to make a sale. So he's trying to sell his property. That takes time for people to sell the property. Now, even once you find the buyer, now the buyer has to take time to find money. So that you give an additional 30 days for a total of 90 days. Like also, by the end of 90 days, there's no, nobody's in business over here, nothing happens. Kasvinan, we write, Adrachta Anechse, a grabbing on his possessions, which means we're going to obligate the uh, document to be pulled through. We're going we're gonna to allow it in court. You know, this whole 90-day idea, 30 days to collect the money, and if you can't get it, 30 days to sell your property, and then 30 days for the buyer. This is all if the guy's agreeing to work with us. Okay? He says, I'm, I'm going to come. I'm, I'm, I plan on paying up. He's working with the courts. But if he says, go jump in the lake. Nothing about, I need to find witnesses. I need to get take care of this. Then the altar kasvinam will take his property right away. Then also we sign it, we have the document uh, established immediately. Okay. There's no reason to give him time. You know why? It should have been in his possession the whole time. The fact that it's not in his possession is, uh, is his problem. It says the Gemara, the Chikasvina, and when we write this document of grabbing, Amikarkoi, does it only apply to real estate? But not to movable property. Because maybe the guy's going to take away some of the movable property. And now, when you know down the road, when the borrower comes back and he brings witnesses stating there's a problem, like Mishkach Midi the Migva, where there's going to be nothing to collect from. But if there is land, then we do because ultimately there's always going to be something to grab from. Velahi says more this this. Uh, Last statement is not necessarily true. It has to be qualified. Uh, rather, adrachta amatate like We never write a grabbing document to go take from movable property. Because afagab is Even if there is karka, there is land. We're concerned that the, the land could go down in value. Okay? 
and uh, if eventually the guy comes with a with a document, he's not going to be able to get the he's not going to be able to get the payment back. And this is also true when they live near each other. Uh, I'm sorry. And when we write the, the document of grabbing, we tell the borrower. And that's only true if he lives nearby. If he lives far away, then we don't let him know. What happens if he lives far away, but he's got relatives that are close? Or there's shayara, there's caravans. Then we wait for Tracer Yarchishata. We wait for twelve months at the Azla Vaasi Shiarta until caravans go uh, go back and forth. Kihad Ravina Shahala Maracha Tracer Yarchishata. Ravina waited for Maracha for twelve months. Yeah, there was a, a, apparently a Dintaira that was that involved Maracha. They gave him twelve months before starting to grab his property at the Asla until they went until it gave enough time for a caravan to go back and forth to Bechuzoi, which is where Mar Acha lived. It says Gemara Velayhi, and we actually don't usually give 12 months. We don't give that long. Because remember, before we said either no time or 90 days. Where did this 12-month idea come from? Hasam Inish Alima have a, in that case, Mar Acha was an Imish, Inish Alima. Inish Alima means he was a strong dude. He's a strong dude. And if he would have heard about the grabbing document that he was, uh, it was something out for his arrest, um, he would have done things that would have made it impossible to get it back from him. So we needed to surprise him. Um, In this case, there's no reason to wait until a person could go on a Tuesday, come back on a Wednesday, and then ultimately show up to court on Thursday. Ravina says, messenger of the He's trusted like two witnesses. Okay? Says Rashi, if you're a messenger of business, there's no reason to assume that you lie. You have a chazak of, of being trustworthy. This is only true about saying, we only trust him as two, as two witnesses if he tells us, listen, I tried to deliver the summons and, and this guy's not showing up. He ignored me. Then we trust him as two people. I but to start a real court case. And uh, since it's going to cause a loss of money, you need witnesses. It's cost money. For uh, to hire the uh, the cipher, Rashi explains that when somebody's put into cherem, you need to pay for the legal fees of putting you into cherem. It costs money to hire a cipher to to write uh, all these things and you know that. So then, the uh, there we don't rely on the word of the shliach vezdin as strong as two witnesses. Okay, we're going to hold it here for this evening. Bezdin, we will pick up with Amar Ravina. Two lines to the bottom of Kufir Bay's Omar Bay's tomorrow morning, 9.30 a.m., hopefully from Yerushalayim. Have a wonderful evening. And again, I get in there Shabbos and a Freilich and Burr Katan. Zagabenched.